Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. We are so pleased to have a special guest with us today. So exciting. We just want to give you guys a heads up that our sound quality may not be exactly as you're used to since we are staying compliant with the COVID rules and we are joined with our special guest remotely. Yeah. We'd like to give a warm welcome to Kim Toller, the creator of A Million Other Choices, which is another Canadian podcast. Kim is the aunt of Taylor Toller, a young woman that was killed by her boyfriend in July of 2018 in Calgary, Alberta. We feel really honored to have Kim join us today to tell her niece's story. Absolutely. We're so glad you're here today with us, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we're happy to do this collaboration with you. It's actually yeah. kind of fun. I think it's for great. Sure. Before we get into today's story, we'd like to ask you a few questions. Sure. How did you come up with the name for your podcast? Because we both love it. Oh, well, thank you. It was actually, I had been trying an, a number of different and kind of putting them into Apple. And of course, they're all the usual, something that involves the word true crime and that. And of course, they're all taken. And then mm -hmm. I started thinking about the victim impact statement that I had given when my niece Taylor had died. And in there, I had said that Dustin, who's the killer in this case, had a million other choices that he could have made, but he chose to take Taylor's life. And so to me, that was sort of poignant. And I think that in all cases of homicide, there are so many other choices that could be made. So that was kind of how I came up with that title. Yeah. And I I think that's why I love it so much because it actually just strikes at such a truth. Right. And so why did you start your podcast then? Well, again, I've always been interested in true crime. And when I first listened to a, probably Serial years ago, I thought, oh, that would be amazing to do a podcast. But I hate my own voice. And I just figured, oh, you have to be in journalism or something to do a podcast. And it was around the anniversary of when Taylor had died this last August. And I was thinking, you know what? I really don't care who listens to it. I just just want to do it. I think that there's stories that I can tell that I want to tell. I want to tell Taylor's story. So I'm just going to do it. And I, I honestly figured, you know, me and maybe a couple of my friends would be my loyal listeners. And that was good enough for me. And then it turns out that there's a lot of room for true crime podcasts because people enjoy listening to them. Yeah. And it sounds like your audience is growing so well. So yeah, congratulations. I, it's actually, but thank you. It's been doing really well. I'm really excited about it. And uh, not ready to quit my day job yet but you know, <laughs> maybe awesome. someday yeah that, that's our hope yeah yeah <laughs> and so I'm wondering do you find telling the cases therapeutic as a way of processing because today we'll get into you have a personal connection with the victim and so do you yeah. find telling other victim stories therapeutic um, I do. Definitely telling Taylor's story was very therapeutic to me. I feel like I don't know if telling the story necessarily like someone else's story necessarily helps me, but I'm hoping that it helps other people sort of process and, and to understand that these are real people and that you can as a victim, you can move forward. You, don't, you, know, you never move on, but you can move forward. So that's a tough question to answer because it is. It's not particularly traditional therapy, for sure. No, but that's um, but what I, I love about it, is that it doesn't have to be 
Like everybody yeah. thinks, that, oh, to overcome something, I need to go into traditional therapy. I need to go see a counselor. But there are so many different ways that people can work through things. And I think this is just a unique one for you. Yeah. And I have found talking to other victim family members and that, that they also just talking about it. Like, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody who's recently lost a relative for whatever reason, like maybe through cancer or something. They're really open with the details and they tell you. And you, at first you're thinking like, oh, I'm surprised they want to talk about it. But I think the number of people really do. They really do want to talk, not relive it, but just have other people understand what happened. And, and I hope that it's therapeutic for the family members that maybe listen to the stories as well. Mm -hmm. It's how our brains work as human beings. It's that talking about it. That's how we make the connection and process things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why funerals give us such closure, right? Because we're able yes. to celebrate yeah. that person and talk about them and remember good things about them. Yeah, for sure. Talking about their life, not necessarily the moment of their death, right? right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, we're really grateful that you have decided to come and join us today to share Taylor's story with us today, because we know it's a story that is close and personal for you. So we really appreciate you coming and sharing this with us sure. and our listeners today. And I'm actually no quite excited to hear the story because it's a different perspective than we usually take on buried motives. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a bit about Dustin and maybe some of the things that motivated him, but I do want to put a little bit of focus on Taylor and his parents, Sean and Alan as well. Absolutely. We'd love okay. that. So we'll let you take it away. Well, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dustin. Dustin Duffy is his name. He was 25 at the time of the crime, and he came from a very normal family. And even Dustin himself never once hinted that there was any form of abuse or neglect in his upbringing. His mom, Sean Boshak, was a nurse that was working as a, like in a naturopath office. And his dad, Alan Penny Legion, who is actually Dustin's stepdad, but he'd been his dad since Dustin was about three, so essentially his dad. Um, he was a business development rep for Keurig Canada, and he was also a football coach as well, which he was really heavily involved with. I never met either one of them personally, but from all reports, they were just really lovely people. And so when they got married, Sean had Dustin, and then he has an older sister as well, which she's never been really mentioned. And she lives, I think she lives down in the States. I believe her name is Alexis, but I'm not sure. I just know that that is Dustin's biological older sister. And then Alan had two sons, Adam and David. And then together, they had a son, Jordan, who was 17 at the time of the crime. And he was also very heavily into football. And I, I hope that he still is. The last time I looked, he was still on the roster for um, the Calgary Colts. So I'm hoping that he's still heavily involved in uh, football that him and his dad especially really loved. I hope so too. Yeah. Because it's so yeah. tragic when the family members lose their life because of another decision somebody else has That's made. That's right. And I know that he went away. through a really hard time, but um, my sister and I talked to him a little bit outside the courtroom one day and he had, he's finished high school. So hopefully things are going fairly well for him. There was some sibling rivalry and the, the fights between, particularly between the three older boys, which would have been Dustin, Adam and David, but for the most part, really just ordinary, like testosterone kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, with all those boys, plus then in the house, they also had a family dog named Odie. And then there was three other pit bulls. So four dogs all together, plus all the kids. So it was definitely a very busy, noisy household. 
But again, everything was just super normal, except for the fact that Dustin, when he became a teenager, he started to get a little bit involved in drugs. And it probably started with just, you know, the usual smoking weed or whatever. But by the time that him and Taylor were together, it was pretty much a full-blown meth addiction. Um, I don't think he sold it, but he was heavily addicted anyways. Dustin met my niece, Taylor, in late summer of 2014. So Taylor would have been 19 and Dustin was 21. So just a small little age gap between them. Was this just after high school? Yes, it would have been shortly after high school. So Taylor, when she graduated, she didn't quite graduate high school. She was very close. She left that summer and went out to BC. And she actually worked as a carny for that summer out. I think it was in somewhere near North. Vancouver. And then when she returned at the end of the summer, somewhere in there, she met Dustin. We're not really sure how they met, but somewhere in there is when they met. And everything was pretty normal between the two of them in the very beginning. Now, Taylor is my sister's oldest child. So in our family, it's just me and my sister. And she had three kids and I have two. And all the cousins grew up really close together. So after Taylor was born, then about three years later, my sister and I just started popping babies out one right after another. (laughs) So all the the cousins are all like probably within a year's age and they're all really close. And and Taylor was close with them as well because she was really good with younger kids kids. So the one thing that I really want to say about Taylor, one of the things that's really difficult, and I don't know if you've ever lost somebody and then they ask, somebody asks you, oh, tell me about them. It's so hard to put into words that intangible quality that people, you know, that someone you love has. So you hear a lot of the same things. Oh, they had a really bright smile or they lit up a room, those kinds of things that they make memes about now. But it it is very difficult. So one thing about her that I can say is that she had this incredible ability that like if you were sad she was sad if you were crying she would be crying but if also if you were happy she was happy for you like you could literally win 50 million dollars in the lottery and there wouldn't be a hint of jealousy from her she would just genuinely be happy for you and that ability to sort of feel other people's emotions with them is I think what left her vulnerable to somebody like Dustin Duffy who you know is a heavy drug user he's manipulative which I think we'll get into a little bit you can totally see that connection or how that would happen yeah with that kind of personality which is unfortunate Mm -hmm. because that's such a beautiful trait to have yeah and I think that's why she kept going back to him is because she just he manipulated that like I'm so sad without you I need you and then that would make her feel like oh you know I need to go back it's it was just a vicious circle No, pretty much from the beginning when they first met, none of us liked him. We were not impressed with him at all. And you could just tell that he had some issues. And he was one of those guys that acts like really tough. He's got a big ego, like the Mm -hmm. kind of guy that if you went out to a pub with him, he would just be looking for fights. Do you know the type that I'm talking about? Yeah. We we know those kind of dirt bags for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You wouldn't want to leave your purse anywhere near him because he was kind of a little bit of a thief. And he was one of those guys that just said things like what's that supposed to mean and you know didn't always have a job and because we knew he used drugs my sister was particularly sensitive to that because she kind of had her own issues with drugs in the past 
so she could see it in him for one thing and she just didn't want Taylor going down that same road because she knew what it's like to try to get out of it and and that kind of thing but we one thing that we didn't see was any abuse at the beginning of the relationship and then there was about six months where Dustin was working as a stripper. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the, the group. You know how there's those Thunder Down Under or something like that? That's the Australian <laughs> one. But there's kind of one like that that was around here in the Calgary area. Trust me, I never went to go see it, but... <laughs> Um, he was doing like a that. magic mic kind of thing yes <laughs> yes oh so. dear so there's a few red flags going on here then <laughs> oh yeah we had a ton of red flags about him but again and I guess this is another issue that I, I sort of want to bring up is about abuse like when Taylor died there wasn't a bruise on her body and I think a lot of people have the misconception that when they're in a relationship that if he's not physically abusing you or she it could be a he or she that there's not abuse happening so, and that's just not the case right and so that's sort of what I'm, I'm hoping that some people can get out of the story is that when you're being manipulated emotionally and dragged down and and sort of the way he treated her as a person that's abuse right if someone making you feel like you're a bad person or calling you names or you know those people that accuse you of cheating all the time that is abuse and it can and it very well could escalate and maybe at a very slow rate and maybe it never gets physical but the cost that you're going to pay with your self-worth and that is just not worth it. And I feel like that can be a harder abuse to get out from under because you don't have those bruises and scars to show physically. And so it's easier to justify that away mm-hmm. or for right. people not or, to take yeah. it seriously. Yeah. yeah. And she was so easily to be manipulated like that. Like when a person would say, I feel so bad and that she took them at their word mm-hmm. that they had changed. And, and I think she definitely did that with Dustin. And like you could say she was naive or whatever. But I I don't think it was naive. I think it was just that she genuinely cared. It sounds like she had a big heart and just felt things extra deeply. Yeah, she really did. And that's what I mean. She not only felt things for herself, but she could also feel what other people were feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that she never used drugs. She did. But she was a recreational user of drugs. And I think she realized that Dustin had a much deeper problem and was trying to get him some help and to get him into a rehabilitation program, working with his mom to try to do that and of course he just never did was she always trying to help people yes she would take in every stray puppy every stray kitten like that's the type of person she was is that she just genuinely wanted she wanted everyone to be happy and she was always willing to help others well you can see how that would make her so vulnerable I think she saw him a little bit like her rescue mission to try to help him, which is sad. So because none of us liked Dustin and he had actually over the Christmas holidays in 2014, he had taken some money from my mom, um, some U.S. cash that he had for a trip to Palm Springs. So after that, she was like, "Okay, I don't want anything to do with him. Don't bring him around here. So what Taylor then would do is kind of hide the relationship from everybody. And of course, it was an on and off relationship as a lot of them go, especially at that age. So when she was not with him, she would say things like, you know, Susan and I are going to go to the mall, you know, something like that. But when they were together, she always phrased things like, my friend is going to come pick me up. And she would never refer to Dustin by name. She would just sometimes say like, this guy that I'm seeing 
those right. kinds of things. And then she would disappear in a way. You wouldn't really hear very much from her. She wasn't around at the family gatherings and you just knew that her and Dustin were together. And then something would happen with them and they would break up and then suddenly she would be back into the fold. She would be getting steady employment, try to find a good place to live and everything would start going well. And then she would be back with Dustin. And like he really did drag her down a lot. I think they were very codependent on each other. So toxic together, mm -hmm. which didn't help. So that was something that we just kind of got used to, right? Taylor would sometimes, you wouldn't always know what she was up to or where she was. And sometimes for several months at a time that that could go on. Okay. But there was usually an incident some kind of incident that would indicate that, okay, she's back with Dustin, right? Like I said, money would go missing or she would be phoning my mom with some sob story about how uh, my car broke down and I need money for something. And it was usually just, it was just kind of became a signal in our family almost. I'm like, oh yeah. So we always kind of, we knew, even though she was missing, like we didn't hear from her, we knew why, if that well, makes sense. Yeah, it does. Just that her age, that's kind of when they're they're leaving the house. They're not always around as much. You're not keeping tabs on them as much as you were before, right? Right. And she was very much like her mom, a bit of a gypsy. Like, so she liked the idea of starting fresh, right? So she was always like, I'm moving out to Vancouver and I'm going to start out there. And then, I don't know, things wouldn't go well out there. So then she'd come back. So again, you're right. That is that age thing and just the way she was that she liked adventure. Mm -hmm. But there was um, definitely some signs, some tells that would indicate that she was with Dustin. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You could always kind of tell that something was always up with her. <laughs> and this pattern of with Dustin, MIA, and then not with him, everything's great, went on for the entire relationship. And it was a four-year relationship. But wow. by around probably October, November of 2017, Taylor was away from Dustin and she was doing really well. She had gotten herself a new job and a new apartment. And the apartment she was living in, she was alone. So she didn't have roommates or anything like that. She was just on her own. She had been coming around for the family gatherings and everything was going really well. But then on New Year's, really early in the morning, she sent me a message on Facebook saying that she was at a party near where I live and that the guy that she was dating... Um, big had warning her, flag. Yes, <laughs> the big red flag had left her stranded there because he left with another girl. Oh my. And she said in her message, I didn't want to tell grandma because I don't want to hear that you can do better kind of thing. So, so I went and got her and bit my tongue because I really did want to say the same thing to her, right? Like to say, you could do so much better. Like, I don't know why, because I knew it was Dustin. I mean, right. you know, I'm, I'm not dumb. But, you know, she obviously had a really cruddy New Year's, so I'm not going to make it worse by then getting into it with her. So I didn't. Yeah. And I just said, oh, that's too bad and left her. And unfortunately, that was the last time that I ever had any actual contact with her because by February, the rest of the family had somehow, and I, I to tell you the truth, I don't actually know what the incident was, had figured out that he was back in the picture. And so she disappeared again. I'm glad for you that your last interaction with her was her knowing that she could rely on you. 
you know, mm-hmm. that you were there for her. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that because mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought of it that way. I, I just kind of, you know, you always think about what else you could have done. Mm-hmm. And I think you always feel like there was something more I could have done. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. She could, I would have done anything for her. And I, I would have loved to have been able to help more. Yeah. But- and you were there for her. You came and picked her up and you did bite your tongue. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Right. So she knew that. And in know, that way, showing her love. Yeah. Right? In a non-judgmental way. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. I'm going to take that with yeah. me then instead of feeling like I messed up by not like, I don't know what I could have done. No, it shows us that you were there for her right to the very end. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Yeah. Now, in early July of 2018, so I believe it was around the 5th of July, she reached out to my mom by text message. Taylor had a really tight, tight bond with my mom, which is kind of unusual for a 24-year-old to have a really tight bond with a grandma. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, if she was going to reach out to anybody, it was usually my mom. And then my mom, of course, would always like buy her groceries and stuff like that. So I think that that's part of why she would have been the chosen one to reach out to when she needed something. So she said that she had gone out to Regina to meet Dustin there because he was in a really bad place and he needed her and she literally dropped everything so she quit her job she gave up her apartment she sold most of her belongings and got in a car and went out there and did you guys ever learn what this big bad place was that he was in like what was happening in Dustin's life that was so urgent that she had to drop everything and not just go out for the weekend and help him but to like quit her life Well, I believe that she wasn't quite honest in that I believe that they had together decided that they were going to go out there and start a new life out there together. Okay, Okay. so she was planning him. Yeah, and something happened while they were out there, probably a fight, and he told her that he had recently been diagnosed with schizophrenia because of the drugs that he'd been doing. So basically drug-induced psychosis. Which is totally Uh, plausible it happens yeah yes especially with math yeah and that had really frightened her so she hightailed it back here to calgary then she had this great plan of how everything was going to work out because Taylor was always, when it, whenever you talked to Taylor, everything was always great. <laughs> so she had it all figured out that she had moved back here to Calgary. She was going to get her own place and she had found a rehab facility here in Calgary, I think with the help of his bum, Sean, to get him into that would take him for six months to a year. And then that was going to give her a chance to get him out of her system. She would be away from him. I don't think she thought it through all the way that he would probably still try to contact her. But in her mind, this was going to be great. And it was going to work out timing wise really well because his mom and dad, Sean and Alan, and the brother, Jordan, were going to be going to Hawaii for a football tournament at the end of July. And then Taylor was going to watch the dogs because they had four dogs. There was Odie the Border Collie, which was like the family dog. Then Jordan had a pit bull. And then Dustin had two pit bulls. So that was a lot, right? Yeah, I have one bulldog in my home and that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This was her plan and everything was going to be great. Um, At least that's the plan that she told us about. Right. So she did get an apartment. She got an apartment in Forest Lawn and it was a really crappy apartment where the furnace in the middle of summer would run all the time. So it was really hot and she'd made a deal with the landlord that she was going to pay her rent in installments at first because she needed to get a job. So that was good. 
and she was in contact with my mom during all this time texting back and forth and of course she would text sometimes three four times a day when she was sort of back in the family fold I think my mom was this time thinking maybe maybe this time she's really gonna do it right yeah but what we didn't know was that Dustin was still kind of coming around the apartment and worse of all because he really was going to go into rehab which was great mm-hmm. but you know how the night before you start a diet you eat everything uh, yeah yep. I've done that many yeah. times <laughs> like, well you can't have Tomorrow it in the house will be good <laughs> that's right if it's in the house so, it's gonna be so tempting so I gotta eat those chips now <laughs> right so he figured well I'm gonna I'm going into rehab can't do drugs anymore I'm gonna do all the drugs oh no so he was extremely high during this time and and I don't know if you know much about meth. It makes you, you don't eat, you don't sleep, which can completely mess up your mind even more. Yeah, it just causes yeah. further psychosis. So yeah. what we didn't know is that actually things were getting quite a bit worse during this time than they were actually getting better. Because how soon and, was he to go into rehab? Like when all this was happening? Yes, like I don't know 100%, but I know okay. that the trip to Hawaii was planned, I believe, the 1st of August. And so this now was towards the end of July. So he probably had about a week or so. Okay, so they probably was... planned their trip for when he was in there. Yeah, like that's part of why Taylor okay. thought it was all going to work out great is because oh they just drop them off at rehab on their way to the the airport to go to Hawaii you know I gotta say that about Taylor she kind of did live in that little world like it's all gonna be great you know well that's still that adolescent mind right everything's just gonna be rosy and it's gonna work out the way I plan it to and some people just are that way which is a yeah I think a great quality yeah she was very optimistic about it that it was it was Mm going to be good I think she genuinely felt like this time he's going to get some help and it's going to be great and we're going to live happily ever after and she was probably hoping for that and I don't think a lot of people realize that right before you go into rehab that's a common thing to happen is that they get so much worse Mm -hmm. yeah I never really thought about that until my sister was telling me that she had been told that and I thought oh yeah I guess you would yeah Um, your mindset would be like like, well, if I got to give it up, then I might as well just make good use of what's laying around. Yeah. My husband's a firefighter and he goes to so many overdose calls oh, and yeah. where people have passed away and they're like, well, he was going to rehab tomorrow. Mm. He said, it's quite a common thing. Oh, it's just too bad. It like is. It's yeah. Just, yeah, the whole thing sucks. Well, on the 25th of July, like sort of early in the morning, so it was around one o'clock in the morning, she sent my mom a message on Messenger because she had a tablet that she would sometimes use that Dustin had shown up that night, really messed up on drugs, and that they had had a fight and he took her phone away from her. Oh. So she didn't have a phone anymore. Um, and she, I think she was a little scared. Yeah. So, and had he done this before, like taking away things from her? Again, I don't know. Okay. I, yeah. I don't know what the history was. And I don't even know, actually, if she'd ever contact the police about anything that he'd done. Probably not. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't have wanted to get him in trouble, right? Right. And again, she probably figured, well, it's Dustin. Like, he's harmless in her mind. She would have thought that. But she did send my mom that message so later that afternoon it was around four o'clock in the afternoon on the 25th my mom and my stepdad came by her place and did buy her a new phone which they gave her and a fan for the apartment because of course it was super hot we were already having a hot like a heat wave during that time but then also her furnace her apartment was running all the time so it was just where was the landlord get the heat figured out buddy yes don't get me started on that landlord but anyways it was kind of a slight 
slumlord kind of place mm. so it wasn't the best and of course she didn't really have any furniture or anything like that like my mom texted her later on the new phone to ask her how the fan was and she said she had to put it together with a spoon because she didn't have a, a screwdriver Aww. or anything so it was pretty sparsely Aww. furnished at that time yeah again and and that was disappointing to my mom because again like like you're just starting to build your life back up and then you sell everything and now you're starting all over again but it happens what happens a lot right mm -hmm. so then yeah they came by and they brought her the phone and then this fan and told her if he comes by again you have to call the police and she said yeah I'm gonna do that I don't want to see him anymore and that didn't happen of course later that night my mom was able to text her and then the next morning she texted her but she wasn't answering and that was a little bit unusual because again when she was in contact she was in pretty heavy contact right like my mom used to joke that oh Taylor will text me if she goes to the bathroom right I mean that's just the way that generation communicates right they love to for sure text and on social media and all that stuff and that kind of all of a sudden stopped so my mom phoned me and asked if I had heard from her. And I said, well, no, like I haven't heard anything. Because again, I thought she was still not around from the last time. So I said, I don't know. She's probably back with Dustin again. I really didn't think much about it. Well, because and this then, is a pattern. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Total pattern. So I wasn't really worried about it. But my mom was a little bit different about it this time. She told me a little bit about the story about going to Regina and that he had been diagnosed with being schizophrenic and just kind of worried. and. To tell you the truth, I kind of felt like, well, just because someone's schizophrenic doesn't mean they're hurting someone. And right, so I just yeah. kind of blew it off as like, you've been watching way too much true crime because, of course, my mom also is a true crime person. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I just kind of put that off. And then on the 28th, so that would have been two days later, she got a message from Dustin asking her if she knew where Taylor was and that he was a little worried. That really got my mom's spidey senses going because she knew that Dustin always knew where Taylor was and Dustin had never reached out to my mom before. And it just, again, it was just, she just found it strange. So she said, well, no, I'm, I haven't heard from her either. And I'm also really worried. And that's the time she started thinking, maybe I need to put in a missing persons report, right. which she did. I think it was the next day after that that she put in the missing persons report and then she phoned me after and said well I put in this missing persons report and I said oh mom like she's gonna be so mad because I just pictured her being like so embarrassed and all that like she was just you know hiding out with Dustin and didn't want my mom to know about it so I feel bad now that turns out she really was missing but there would have been nothing that we could do about it and the police did they sent an officer to her place knocked on the door and they really couldn't do anything because she's right. an adult and she might just be missing on purpose. And so they, there really wasn't a whole lot that they could do about it. But that later that night, Sean Boschuk, Dustin's mom, texted my mom and oh, wow. said that she was worried because neither her or Dustin had been able to get a hold of her. And she was getting a little worried. Now, she was probably had been texting her trying to figure out this thing with the dogs. Oh, yeah, because she, she was supposed to be dog sitting. She was going to be dog sitting. And so my mom replied and said, well, no, we've put in a missing persons report on her. And Sean was, I mean, she was just beside herself. Like, just, that's terrible. I don't know how I'm going to tell Dustin. And that was the last that Sean was kind of heard from. 
I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. So on the 31st of July, around 11 a.m., 911 got a call from Dustin, who was calling outside of Taylor's apartment building. He had gone there and you know how in apartment buildings you there's the first door and then there's a second set of doors that you have a key to get through where you buzz in yeah yeah so he was inside that sort of vestibule and hadn't been able to get through the second set of doors so he phoned 911 and admitted to them that I killed my girlfriend last week and I murdered my parents this morning (gasps) and the 911 call is available on YouTube you can listen to it And it's just because he just sounds so calm when he says it. And of course, the dispatcher was amazing. Just really calm with him. Yeah, Yeah, we have listened to the 911 call. And it was so disturbing how calm he was. And I was so impressed with the 911 dispatcher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did a really good job of keeping him on the phone and and not aggravating him any further. and, And that. So of course, the police came immediately and detained him. And they went, one of the officers went up to Taylor's apartment, had to kick in the door and found her. And she had been found like face down on her bed. She'd obviously been deceased for about a week and her throat was cut. And at the same time, they dispatched officers to the, the parents lived in Hidden Valley. So complete opposite ends of town. And they went there and found his mom was in the like sort of the family room. She had been covered with a plastic sheet with stab wounds and his dad was sort of on his back in like there's like a guest bathroom that just before it goes to the garage and Odie the family border collie was found wounded and panting still alive on top of him just sort of guarding the body and unfortunately he had a major slash wound to his abdomen and he had to be put down and of course alan was clearly deceased from numerous stab wounds and then in the garage in his mom's car in the back seat they found now polaris was the name of one of the pit bulls so the white pit bull that dustin and taylor had owned together and she had a knife wound to her neck but she was taken in for surgery and she did survive. He underestimated 
that pit bulls have extremely thick, strong neck muscles. Mm -hmm. So he hadn't been able to do as much damage as, and we never did figure out if that was intentional or if it was just, you know, the dogs were in the scuffle. You would think with pit bulls that they could do a lot of damage. It might've been that because the other dogs were not out and about. So he must've put them away somewhere. So it sounds like it was just a crime scene there. Like he just oh, kind of they, lost yeah, it. The, yeah. The, so the officers at the um, Hidden Valley location said it was, I mean, as soon as you walked in, it looked like a crime scene, right? It was a bit of a bloodbath. Now at Taylor's apartment, nothing else was disturbed. It was just, it was just her. So there wasn't a, a fight there. So what happened? Well. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Has Dustin yeah. ever shared, like, does he have memories of this? Like, did he have a confession where he had to outline what he remembered? He was questioned briefly by the police. I don't know what was said, but he wasn't particularly helpful. But what we do know is that on the 26th of July, that night around 11 o'clock, he came back to Taylor's apartment, but they were calm. He wasn't agitated. There wasn't any fighting. And they kind of come and go from her apartment because we have surveillance footage of it. And they're likely going out for like cigarette breaks because Dustin was definitely like a chain smoker. So they would have kind of come and gone for smoke breaks. And at times when they come back and leave the apartment, they're holding hands. Like everything just looks really normal. Okay. And at 4.03 a.m. is when they enter the apartment and Taylor, well, I think they both got into bed. So she was nude. So she'd gotten into bed probably to go to sleep. And then it's at that point, we just don't know why, but that's when he slit her throat with a hunting knife. And like he had always, he had a hunting knife that he kind of carried with him a lot. And so he used that. And then he tucked her in to bed, like sort of under the, like a bed sheet and put a few things that there was a towel with blood on it and a sock. That he put into, they called it a a bed in a bag, but it was on wheels. So he he was using it sort of as a suitcase. Okay. And he put some things of hers in there, which he then discarded in just in the household trash at his parents' place, which was kind of stupid. Yeah. And was it believed that he was high all during this time? Yeah, they believe so. They just, they really don't have any other explanation explanation, because there wasn't a fight. There wasn't any other reason for him to have done it, I guess, other than that he was going into rehab and he might have realized that this might be the end of their relationship. But was there any defensive wounds? No, fortunately, we think that she just she never even saw it coming. Mm. And because it was it severed her jugular, she would have died probably within seconds to minutes. Like, I'm really hoping that she just wasn't even really aware. No, she was just peaceful. Yes, hopefully that's what we always try to tell ourselves anyways, is that, that she just didn't even know what happened. But then he left the apartment and calmly just locked the door behind him and did not even look back at the door. And he went back to his parents' house and he was staying in the basement there. And he just continues to sort of hang out there smoking more meth and whatever else he was doing. He did write a whole bunch of notes, like in notebooks, but they weren't brought into court. So I think that they were just probably random ramblings and didn't really have anything to do with what had happened. So wasn't Well, I guess we don't know because Sean unfortunately lost her life too, but you think that that would tip her off of like something's going on. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, and we think that because she was planning a trip to Hawaii, she was also then, he had recently come back, and then now he was going to do this rehab, and now all of a sudden there's four dogs in her house instead of the usual two. She was under a considerable amount of stress. And she would have been probably wondering what the heck's wrong with Dustin. Well, she mm-hmm. knew he was a drug user too. Yeah. Um, but she probably just thought maybe we need to move this timeline up or something. Okay. I don't, I really, I don't know. All I know is that on the early morning of the 31st, she had been texting with a coworker again about how stressed she was. I don't think there was any specifics about what she was concerned about. Of course, she had just learned that Taylor was missing. And I think that she had her suspicions that Mm -hmm. Dustin was somehow involved in that. Because he's acting so bizarrely. He's, uh, uh, yeah, and that they can't find her. Right, Um, right. That would have been, like, I would imagine he would have been acting all kinds of strange. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, maybe some people can just kill someone and just go act normal, but. Well, that's what I was wondering about when you mentioned the notebooks, is I was thinking, how can you not be all consumed with what just happened? Like, I don't know how you could be writing about something else. Right. Now, they did find a note that he had ripped up and crumpled into a ball that they originally thought was just garbage. And when they pulled it open, they had to piece it together. And there was a little bit in there about Taylor, but none of it made really any sense. Right. But there was a piece about her... First line of this note reads, I am an admitted murderer. But then it's like, you can't really read much of it. It's all kind of garbled. But the line, in bed, spooning as she liked, I reached around and squeezed her neck, heard a pop in her neck, pure want of blood. I ran my blade across her neck, wanting to feel cold steel run through human flesh, that urge to feel the soul of another human being leave her body. And that's pretty much all you can kind of read from it. And it was about five pages long, but that was really all you could read out of it. So again, to me, it sounds like he wrote a lot of that stuff to try to sound crazy. Yeah. And just making it like he could write those lines clear, but all the other stuff was really garbled. Yeah, exactly. Like talking about demons and stuff like that. Like to me, it just sounded like, well, it's a bunch of bull. It would give you an insight of where his brain was at then, right? Yeah. It didn't, though. Like, that's what's so annoying about the whole thing is that it just doesn't make any sense. No, it's such a pointless murder. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. I have always thought that it had to do with him going to rehab and that he felt that it was going to be over. And it sounds like Taylor was making, like, she was making plans for her life to move on. And so I'm sure he got that feeling that the relationship was going to end when he went into rehab. And he was yeah. coherent enough afterwards to act like, oh, where's Taylor? Like to yeah. text your mom. Exactly. And trying to cover his tracks. Yeah. 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 And he was well, super calm when he turned himself in. Yes. And he had also made some attempts, some weak attempts to clean up the mess from his parents' place. But probably like a lot of men realized that cleaning's a lot of work and just kind of gave up on it. <laughs> it sounds like he's taken the easy way out before. <laughs> so he wasn't yes. in it for the long haul. Yeah. 
So do you think that's why he turned himself in just like, Oh, they'll figure it out. I might as well just turn myself in. Yeah. I think that that? he just had no other options. I mean, you, when you kill your parents, well, really his, his mom and Taylor would have been the two people that supported him the most. Yeah. And when you've eliminated those people, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. I guess he just figured, well, I guess I'm going down for it. And he did, he showered and he changed his clothes and he shaved his head. And from what I understand, a lot of times when people do that, it is kind of a symbolic of a rebirth that like, I guess this is the new me going into prison. Right. So was there any reason why he went back to Taylor's place to confess? Well, he says that he wanted to go there and say goodbye. Oh, okay. And okay. There's there's almost a piece of me that wishes he'd been able to get in there because yeah, I think and if have he'd have that seen image. Exactly. Of her there for a week. Like I don't know in his mind if he just figures she was still just laying there. And yeah. I don't know what goes through these guys' minds, but yeah, he was a bit of a dirtbag. Yeah, absolutely. It's an adequate title. Yeah. Yep. So then when he was arrested, they put him in the back of the police car and he was there for almost an hour between the time that they were kind of doing a bit of their investigation and then taking him to the police station. And there's footage of him in the back of the police car. And all he's doing is getting more and more upset that they will not give him a cigarette. He doesn't say his parents' names. He doesn't say Taylor's name. At one point, he does say, you know, I just killed three people this week. Do you think I really give a F about myself? And he threatens that he's going to, you know, hurt himself if he doesn't get a cigarette. We were like, okay, show up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it was yeah, just. Yeah, you do that, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, it was really frustrating to watch that. Just so self-absorbed. Exactly. Like no regard for anybody else but himself. Yeah. It was all about him, like poor him. He's in, Ugh. you know, handcuffs that are too tight. He can't get comfortable in the back seat and needs a cigarette. Oh, that's oh. infuriating. It is. Yeah, it really was. So he was taken to Calgary Remand Center. They did have him at the Rocky View on suicide watch for a couple of days, but I don't think he really made any real attempts to even really threaten to kill himself. And did he go through a psyche val afterwards? Oh, yes. Yeah, he did have a psyche evaluation. Some of it was read in court and they just basically felt like he was exaggerating his symptoms Mm -hmm. and that there really wasn't any evidence of any real pure psychosis and including at the time of both crimes. So that goes back to that note of him just trying to make it look like he's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, trying to find a a way to make it look like he didn't know what he was doing or it was covering his tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and that he also that he tried to clean it up. That's a sure sign. And so that was kind of that. I mean, a police officer came to my mom's and notified my mom that they had found her. And she knew right away as soon as they walked in the door that it wasn't it wasn't good news. And unfortunately, my oh. sister was away in Kamloops at the time. She was on a camping trip. Oh. So she had to be notified by her ex-husband. I cannot and... even imagine getting that call. Mm-hmm. Well, she she said she was lost. They were lost. It was she was with her boyfriend at the time and they were kind of lost, didn't know which way they were going. And she finally got to an area where she had cell phone coverage and she looked at her phone and saw that she had a bunch of missed messages. And she did know that my mom had been looking for Taylor, but she, you know, didn't really think much of that. Well, and... because there had been such a pattern before. Exactly. So yeah. it was she phoned her ex-husband and he 
told her and she said she just well fell to her knees just you know no 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 and then she just stood up and she said we have to go that way (laughs) and she just knew which way to get out and yeah she just she was a bit of a mess for probably two years and her father who I, I don't name her father because he just prefers not to be sort of involved in the stories but it, it has really really torn him up well I can't, again I can't imagine either just uh, your own no. child like it's hard enough as my niece her sister so again I don't name her but she was away on a once in a lifetime trip in Europe at the time mm. and my dad lives out in Vancouver so he got on the next flight and we just kind of went into a kind of gather all the troops together and we were just in a like a fog putting together yeah. a funeral just really couldn't believe what was happening and we had to wait until March of 2021 so just under two years for the trial because the police they couldn't tell us anything because they were still investigating Mm. so we just knew that Taylor had died we knew that Dustin had confessed to doing it but we didn't know how she died we knew that he'd also killed his parents only because we saw that on the news and really nothing else and we did know about Polaris the dog because the Humane Society had reached out to my sister to see if she could take her and she tried for a while but she she's pretty traumatized herself the dog so she got sent to um, a particular pit bull rescue like where that's what they rescue is pit bulls and they've managed to find her an experienced home that she can go to and the other two dogs we don't really know what happened with them. We, we hope wow. that they, I know one of them was not adoptable, but hopefully he's still in a foster situation of some sort. I can't even imagine, Kim, like that is literally your worst nightmare, getting a phone call like that. And am I understanding correctly that for the few years leading up to the trial, you didn't know any details? No, we really didn't wow. know. Unless it was on the news, which really wasn't much, we didn't know anymore. And and we only knew the pieces that we did, you know, just out of like, we could kind of tell that there was a knife involved because of the injury to Polaris, but they just couldn't tell us anything. And to their credit, we had said to the prosecutor who was Shane Parker and to the lead detective that was Lacey Murdoch. That was fine because we didn't want to do or know anything that could possibly mess up the investigation because we wanted to make sure that all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted because we did not want to see him get out on a technicality. For sure. We didn't bug him for information. But the part that was really frustrating was in March, we had been waiting all this time for this trial. And of course, we all wanted to go. And and there is a sense sometimes with prosecutors and detectives that they kind of wonder, well, why do you want to go to the trial? But for us, there's a certain closure that comes with hearing the details. Yes, it's probably the most difficult thing you can sit through, but just knowing what happened somehow, I don't know how to explain it. I think my imagination would be so much worse. Yes, and I think that for my sister and I particularly, because again, both true crime people, we had pictured in our mind all kinds of horrible things and Mm -hmm. we really did think it was so much worse. I think for my sister particularly, because it's her baby girl, right? You just picture them crying for help and just, you know, scared 
scared and all that stuff that you put into your mind and it would have been nice to hear that it hopefully wasn't that bad for her right. that it would have been over quickly but because of covid they told us kind of at the 11th hour that there were six seats available for what oh. they called the gallery for media and all family members so six in total six in total oh, oh no so we were really upset and of course it's like sorry covid nothing we can do about it we're on the phone with each other trying to figure out okay well who's going to go on what days and if can we get at least a schedule so we know who's testifying when and all of this stuff and of course my mom and one of the siblings was set to testify and we wanted to be able to be there to support them and so not being able to be there in person was really difficult and fortunately on the morning that they were going to start jury selection we got a call from Shane Parker's office that he had decided at the last minute to plead guilty to all three counts. So he was originally charged with three counts of second degree murder, but they were able to up the charge to first degree for his dad. And there's a couple of different reasons we think that that is, is that first of all, that there was a bit of a chase. So they could argue unlawful confinement that he had been prevented from leaving the house. He was also eliminated as a witness. And surprisingly, he did plead guilty to all three of them as he was charged. He didn't try to plead to anything. Them down. Good. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what was really great about that was that there's no way he can later appeal because I think that's a real problem for a number of families. Is sure, you can get convicted of first degree murder, but if there's appeals process, it can then later be thrown out or right. you know moved down to something else. So this way, he is serving. We knew even before sentencing that he was going to be serving a minimum of 25 years with even being eligible for parole so we were happy about that and we were happy then to be spared the details of the trial right well and the whole not having to go back for parole hearings is such a blessing yes sorry i got a little ahead of myself but he does in the end get sentenced to 35 years okay he's not eligible for parole for 35 years which i believe he'll be 62 and me and my sister will be well into our 80s so hopefully we won't care all of the kids, like his Taylor's siblings and my kids will still be around, but hopefully by then something will have changed, like either changed with him or, you know, we kind of look at it like prison time is harder on, I think, on your body than regular life. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was just ex- Yeah, his life expectancy might not be all that long either. So we were, in the end, we were happy. And so I just want to read what the judge said about the crimes what he was quoted as saying. So this is Justice Glenn Pullman is the name. And on April 8th, 2021, he said, he committed three consecutive murders of members of his intimate circle, each exceeding in brutality and violence the one before it. The callous abandonment of Miss Toller's body for five days following the murders of two more family members are uniquely reprehensible. The adverse considerations are what appear to be a cold, methodical approach to following up his murders with showering some attempts to clean the scenes of evidence and a demonstrated capability of impulsive and violent conduct. The effect of this killing spree on friends and family of the victims is incalculable. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. So we don't really know how to classify Dustin because he's not a serial killer in the general sense. It's not yeah, really a It would have been more like a spree, spree killing. 
Yeah, but don't spree kill. Well, I guess, no, you're right. Because the, the Nova Scotia one were over a period of time in different locations. Yeah, so yeah I guess, it's yeah, the no cooling time off. Yeah. Yes. And he, yeah, he had time to make a million other choices. <laughs> he really did. And so um, many victims, right? Like not just the three who lost their lives, but your family and Sean and Alan's family, the remaining kids. All yes. Of you. And yeah, they were a close knit family as well. They've been through like, I mean, that must be just to hell and back to have to lose your parents at, at an age like, you know, when you're in your early 20s, that's a terrible time to lose your parents. You still really need them. And you're just starting to really see them as people. Mm -hmm. not just as your parents so he is currently serving his sentence at the Edmonton maximum security there and this is just something I want to say for anyone out there who's listening who's maybe gone through something somewhat similar that our family has come to a place of forgiveness actually I mean obviously we miss Taylor terribly and we're, we're heartbroken but there's sort of an acceptance that we can't change what has happened but we know that Taylor would not want us to live in misery and reliving her death over and over again she'd want us to move forward and have moments of happiness and to remember her really fondly and that she loved Dustin and she was always forgiving his screw-ups and so she would just see this as another screw-up so the best way to honor her is to continue to talk about her and to try to help others by letting them know that these kinds of things can happen but also to forgive Dustin so that's one of the things that we did and and more for us and for her not for Dustin and my sister I mean you imagine this is your child that has been killed by someone you never liked to begin with who you warned them against yeah yeah and she actually tried to reach out to him like when he was sentenced through uh, another party like I think through the defense lawyer to tell him look I want to see you get help. And when you're ready, we're going to be there to help you do that. Yeah, I did think that your sister's attitude towards Dustin is inspiring. The way that she was able to view that dirtbag that murdered her daughter as an individual that she sees past that dirt and she sees a person worth helping or in need of help. And I love that even though that she wasn't that person that could provide the one-on-one help, she found a way to help him. Yeah, no, I'm very impressed. It actually, I didn't really get to that place until after I finished my episode on it when I had the discussion with both my mom and my sister about how they feel about Dustin and they had both forgiven. And I, I don't know, just talking to them kind of changed my perspective a bit on it. And I've been able to come to a place of forgiveness. So doing that episode was what turned out to be very therapeutic for me to help me through that process because you do feel a lot lighter when you're able to forgive. Yeah, I bet that's part of the healing process. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it's enabled me to know because I really struggled at first with the whole podcast thing. You know, I was talking about true crime, like how would Taylor feel about that? And now I realized that Taylor would think it was amazing. Like she'd be yeah. she'd be all for it and thinking, oh, yeah, <laughs> you do you. And if that's what you want to do and it makes you happy, then go do it. And, yeah, she'd uh, be proud of her that, auntie. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully sharing her story does help somebody else out there that maybe sees that, oh, you know, my boyfriend, he doesn't hit me, but, you know, he maybe does these other things and and that's still abuse Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that was the story of my niece taylor and her dirtbag boyfriend yeah he was a dirtbag he was a dirtbag and she just sounds beautiful and your whole family you know just very remarkable people how you've dealt with all of this and been able to move forward and reach out and help others so yeah 
And you guys have started a foundation, is that correct? Yes, we have a memorial fund set up. If you go to taylortollerfund.org, it is like a living legacy fund. So money that you donate just sits in there to earn interest. And it's actually the interest that gets donated to programs that help with mental health, domestic violence, and also substance abuse as well. Awesome. This is such a beautiful idea. Yeah. And we can definitely try and put that in our show notes. Mm -hmm. They have all kinds of other memorial funds as well. And I think a lot of the stories on there will speak to somebody that's maybe gone through something that they can feel connected with and want to help. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. We truly appreciate it. We really do. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be on anytime and you guys can come on my show anytime. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to do this again. We have lots of other stories. Yeah, that's the sad part is we'd never run out of stories, do we? No, no. Even if there was never another murder committed, like ever on the face of the earth, we still wouldn't run out of stories to cover. No, we just have to dig a little further for them, but... Well, yeah, maybe on for our one year anniversary, we'll have to do it again. Oh, that yeah. would be fun. Actually. Let's totally do it. <laughs> yeah. And Melissa and I won't tear up on that one. No, it is a tragic story. And it's unfortunate that this stuff happens all the time. It does. Mm-hmm. It's so awful. Because really there's is. such a pattern. Like, I'm sure you feel this, that looking back over Taylor's relationship with Dustin, that you could see all of these warning signs. Yeah. And yet there was nothing that you could do about it. I think there's another one of those missing conceptions about people in domestic violence situations that if you give them a branch or give them support that they're automatically going to take it that they're always looking for a way out and and I think in a lot of cases part of the problem is they really love the person they're with and that abuse just happens so slyly and so slowly over time that they don't even recognize the abuse anymore so that when he takes their phone away she probably didn't think that that oh that's just Dustin being Dustin kind of thing exactly she'll get it back next week or you know, that's right. Yeah. And that's why I think that we just need to keep talking about it over and over and just yeah. making people aware that this is kind of how it can happen. Or this mm-hmm. is yeah. how it happened in this case. It could happen differently in this case. Yeah. Thanks so much again. We appreciate you doing this yeah, with us. Well, thank so. you. And yeah. uh, we'll be talking soon. Yeah. So for our listeners, thanks for joining in this week. Go to our Facebook page to find the link to Taylor's Fund. We'll put it in our episode description as well. Yeah. Well, that's it for us this week. We hope that you'll come back next week when Melissa has another exciting case. Absolutely. Have a great week, everyone. See ya. Bye. Hey, listeners. That was a really weird hey, listeners. <laughs> But it hasn't even gotten daylight yet. (laughs) Still in the dark with Christy and Melissa. (laughs) Melissa, are you instable? I am instable. Don't trust the white van. (laughs) Don't park by it. You don't walk by it. Nothing. You know, forget algebra. Nobody uses algebra. When do you need to know about parallelograms, right? (laughs) That's right. Uh. (laughs) Technology. We love it, but hate it. Yeah, exactly. Can you hear me? Oh, I got to go Google that one. Um, Sorry, lost my place. Sorry, I keep losing my place because I just keep talking. Oh, that is okay. We do that all the time. (laughs) Hey, this will Um, go on our blooper reel, so that's okay. (laughs) Is it texted or text? Oh, I don't know. She messaged. Texted, text.
texted. Messaged. Messaged. Yeah. My girls make fun of me because I say videoing. Oh. <laughs> like I'm videoing this. They're like, mom, that's not a word. So you're asking the wrong group. Now you made me lose my spot where I was. Sorry. <laughs> but f- uh, who cares? Yeah. It's a sad world out there. <laughs> oh, you're just sad at all. I'm efficient. What can I say? Two hours later. That was only an hour and a half. One hour and a half later. Okay, well, hopefully the quality on this is good. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.